No one enjoys a good cup of coffee more than Fraser Crane on the hit sitcom Fraser. Make even the smallest mistake in his daily coffee order, such as adding cinnamon instead of nutmeg or too much or not enough foam, he'll definitely send it back. Much of the show took place in a local coffee shop, Cafe Nervosa, where Fraser and his brother Niles would shoot the breeze over their perfectly crafted soy lattes and cappuccinos. But I doubt they were thinking of where those beans came from or how much land it would take to grow their daily necessity. This lifestyle is not unlike many Americans today. Take me, for example. I, I generally brew two to three full mugs to drink each morning. That probably represents the equivalent of ordering a couple of 12-ounce uh, grandes at Cafe Nervosa. In a year, I probably drink around 700 such servings. My guess is that there are lots of others who drink that much coffee or even more. A few years ago, a friend gave me several seedling coffee trees, and I planted them in my yard near San Diego. This worked because we don't have frost, and this semi-tropical plant could survive. And growing those beautiful plants was kind of fun, and it gave me a new appreciation for the crop. They're quite nice-looking little trees, and, and when they bloom with little white flowers, the aroma is beautiful. Over three years, I think I may have generated one pound of green coffee beans. So this was a learning experience, not even a successful gardening venture. Still, this bit of hands-on experience made me wonder just how much coffee is grown on a coffee farm, or finca, to use the Spanish term, somewhere in the world, just to meet my demand. I wondered, what is my personal coffee footprint in terms of land, and what does that mean for the people who grow that crop? That's what we'll be exploring on today's Pop Agriculture Podcast. As Americans, we're pretty big coffee drinkers. I pulled up recent FAO trade statistics. And on average, for the five years ending in 2016, we imported 1.45 million metric tons of green coffee beans from countries around the world. That translates into 2.7 billion pounds of roasted beans each year. And each pound of roasted beans can brew up about 24 tall-sized cups, making the 2.7 billion pounds we import enough to brew about 65 billion of those 12-ounce cups of Morning Joe. Well, how much land does that require? Well, using production data on FAO Stats website, we can see that in the 52 countries from which we import our coffee, we Americans have an annual coffee footprint representing around 4 million acres of land, about 15% of total world coffee plantings. Now, just for perspective, that's an area 1.1 times the area of Connecticut, 3.2 times the area of Delaware, or 5.9 times the area of Rhode Island. Of course, it isn't all connected, but exists mostly as small farms or fincas mixed in with other kinds of landscape. So what is my share or your share of that footprint? Well, that depends a little on the source country. Brazil is our biggest coffee trading partner, 27% of our imports. And Brazilian growers get an average of 1,279 pounds of beans per acre which is enough to satisfy the yearly demand of 37 people who drink at my level, that, that one acre. 
Now, to visualize what that means, I compared my share of that acre to a tennis court, something I can relate to. A doubles court is 78 feet by 36 feet. So, if my entire coffee footprint was in Brazil, it would need to be as big as 42% of the tennis court. Colombia provides 18% of our imports, but it has somewhat lower yields, so it would take 62% of a tennis court just for me. Vietnam supplies 16% of our coffee, and they have high yields of 2,161 pounds per acre. And so my supply could be grown on one quarter of a tennis court. Guatemala and Mexico are low-yielding sources, and so my footprint there would be either 1.1 or 2.1 tennis court equivalents, respectively. In the transcript of this podcast on popagriculture.com, there's a graph comparing import quantities for the top 20 U.S. coffee suppliers and the effective tennis court equivalents in each country that would be needed to supply a coffee drinker like me. Now, part of or an entire tennis court is not a huge area. But coffee is a rather labor-intensive crop, so that even our individual footprints require quite a bit of time and effort on somebody's part. Most coffee is still grown by smallholder farmers, particularly in case of the higher-quality Arabica varieties that are used to make the specialty coffee that now dominates our market. The plants have to be pruned and fertilized. Weeds must be controlled by hand or with carefully applied herbicides. There are insect pests and fungal diseases that require pesticide applications. A great deal of the work is carried out by individuals on foot rather than with the kind of machinery that can be used in many other crops. And also, coffee is often grown in mountainous areas because the best climate for coffee quality is often at higher elevations to avoid excessive heat. So when you visualize the work on the finca for my or your footprint, Imagine people navigating a slope, employing hand tools, and are using a backpack sprayer. But the biggest labor issue for coffee has to do with its harvest. As a semi-tropical plant, coffee does not just bloom at a certain time of year. Flushes of blooms can be induced by rain throughout the year, so that at any one time there tend to be coffee berries of very different maturity on the same tree and even on the same branch. That's why coffee is normally harvested by hand so that only the deep red-colored ripe fruit is harvested, leaving the greener fruits for harvest another time. When I was growing up, there was a ubiquitous television ad campaign for Colombian coffee, and it featured Juan Valdez as the person out handpicking those half-inch diameter coffee cherries one by one. According to the website for the Kona coffee industry in Hawaii, A professional coffee picker can harvest 200 to 500 pounds of coffee cherries a day. The cherries are then crushed and fermented for a couple of days. After that, the seeds have to be dried, after which the hard shell and papery covering are removed to expose the green beans. The 200 pounds of coffee that somebody could pick in a day would yield 55 to 60 pounds of green beans or 47 to 50 pounds of roasted beans. So I estimate that it takes somebody between a half and uh, one and a quarter entire work days to pick the fruit needed for my annual supply. One option to save labor is to harvest all the cherries at the same time with a machine and then use visual sorting equipment to select out the ripe fruit and discard the green. Of course, that means less total usable yield from each acre of land. One thing for coffee lovers to consider is that the business of growing coffee is getting more challenging for many of those involved at the farm level. 
Coffee is one of those crops with major quality drivers based on genetics, growing conditions like shade, and especially the growing temperature is a key factor. With climate change, coffee production has been shifting to higher elevations where possible and fading out in some places where that's not possible. Coffee farmers also deal with serious pests like uh, coffee borer insects. And there's also a serious disease that afflicts coffee that has been a big issue through the history of this industry. In the late 19th century, a fungus that causes coffee rust somehow moved from the natural range of coffee in Africa to the major coffee plantations in Indonesia that supplied England at the time. Since this was before the development of crop protection tools like fungicides, that industry was devastated. This is said to be why the English drink tea, because they could no longer get coffee. Rusts are diseases that can only grow on certain plant species, but they severely limit the growth of their host. In the transcript of this post, there is a picture of what a rust-covered coffee leaf looks like, and you can see why they use that name for this kind of pathogen. So when rust took out the Indonesian coffee industry, the crop shifted to other parts of Asia and to the Americas. And in the latter case, it escaped the rust disease for a long time. But the fungus eventually made its way to Central and South America. And in recent years, it has become more and more of a problem for the growers there. Again, probably as a result of climate change that has shifted rainfall patterns. Many growers have been hard hit by this disease, and some are going out of business altogether. Well, there are now safe and effective fungicides that can control coffee rust, but access to those and even to good advice may be limiting in some areas. First world consumers may think that they're doing something noble by seeking out organic coffee, but in reality, they're asking some of the farmers to fight this pest with far less effective natural pesticides like copper compounds. And those require more frequent applications and they actually have uh, poorer health and environmental profiles than some of the more modern options. Now, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not dealing with guilty feelings myself, nor am I hoping to generate those for my fellow coffee consumers. The coffee trade can supply a good income and a reasonable lifestyle for many families with small farms, often in regions where there are not that many other good options to help generate an income. The coffee industry, as we see it through retail chains or brands, is usually quite removed from the actual growing of the coffee. But there are efforts to ensure that fair trade practices protect the actual growers from any kind of exploitation. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to speak at a national meeting of the Specialty Coffee Association of America. Within that industry meeting, the challenge of coffee rust was very much on people's mind. And I, I learned that there are ongoing efforts to protect and improve conditions in the diverse and scattered coffee farming communities. So I'll pose a question. Does it help you to be able to imagine your coffee footprint uh, relative to a tennis court, just so that you have an idea of what it takes to produce something that you enjoy? That could even become more real to you if you have a chance to see an actually coffee finca as a tourist someday. Like many crops, it can be a beautiful thing to see. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc at 
G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.